Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Again, boils, ghouls, and non-batinary individuals. <laughs> this is your host Ashley for the Is It Transphobic podcast. No, but seriously, how's it going? Uh, just figured you know I'd try something new for the uh, last episode before Halloween. Um, thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. We are now on iTunes, so you can find us on iTunes. If you've been listening, if your friends have said, "Hey, this sounds like a great podcast," but um, you know, I can only really listen to things if they're in my feed, if, uh, if I don't have to keep checking in with it. Uh, and iTunes is going to be a fantastic way for people to continue to find this podcast. But that's not it. There's a lot of other newness going on in this episode. Uh, this is the first episode where all of our panelists are going to have the new headset mics that were given to us by a fantastic donor. Thank you so much to that uh, wonderful person who donated these headsets to us. Uh, and there is a little hum. We're still working out some of the technical issues, so it shouldn't be that distracting. But at the same time, just FYI, if you're one of those people that are going in and you want to be warned about that, there's a little bit of a hum that we tried to fix. Uh, that said, also new, we have a new Patreon page. Yeah! That way you can try and help us out uh, now, obviously, in the beginning, I just, I'm just i looking for something to help me so that I can pay for web costs so that I don't have to worry about that because, you know, I'm still, still working on things. But, uh, yeah, eventually we will hopefully be able to uh, maybe long, long, long term pay all of our panelists for showing up. That would be fantastic. Uh, I'm not saying that that's going to happen anytime soon, but hey, you know, it would be nice. Uh, we do have fun, but it is work. Not to mention, for certain uh, pieces, for certain movies, for certain TV shows, we will need to pay. Uh, I don't necessarily want to make it seem like we're going out and illegally watching all of these things, because we're not. But at the same time, those rental fees, those uh, purchasing costs, they cost money. And to give us access to the best items, we're going to need some consistent income. So the Patreon page is going to be one of the best ways that we can accrue that. By subscribing to the Patreon page, you will have access to any of our mini-episodes that we put out. Uh, they will be released publicly a month after they premiere on Patreon, so you'll still have access to them. I know how hard it is for access for people, so I wanted to make sure that there was a way that people still had access, but at the same time, the Patreon will allow you to have quicker access to these interesting things. Things like my most recent episode that I did on medical gatekeeping, uh, as well as the upcoming episode that we're doing. Uh, I don't have a release date for it yet, but the upcoming episode where we have recorded Kelsey Jefferson Barrett's short story that they put into Lightspeed Magazine uh, that was published by Lightspeed Magazine. And 
yeah, we invited a good friend of mine, my friend Laura Fox, who is a fantastic actor. Uh, she came in to read for the character. So by becoming a Patreon patron of us, it helps to support us so that we can continue to make this podcast, uh, tell you about transphobic media so that you can either avoid it or decide, yeah, maybe I should watch this eventually. Now, since we're covering Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a style of art known as camp that really influences this piece, and we talk about it a lot. And instead of just throwing it into the aether and hoping that you understand or hoping that you'll go Google it, we wanted to give you a little definition. And this is not a perfect definition, but there is a fantastic vlogger named Rantasmo out there. Uh, and Rantasmo has given us permission to use a little bit of his video on uh, camp. It is from the video Camp Needs More Gay. And his entire vlog series is Needs More Gay. Now, Rantasmo is a cisgender gay man. And he acknowledges that uh, there have been a couple of episodes that he's done that has dealt with transgender representation, specifically dealing with the Baldur's Gate expansion pack issue uh, in his video, quote unquote, forced diversity in video games. Uh, but he also acknowledges that he is coming from a place as a cisgender gay man and he is willing to be educated and happy to be educated and tries to be educated. So I like him a lot. I think he's a great ally. The idea is that he tackles uh, gay issues in popular media, and as such, he will say something needs more gay. In this episode, Camp Needs More Gay, he discusses the style of filmmaking of Camp, uh, as well as whether it's intentional or not, and so here are just a couple of definitions that he presents that are, as he puts it, not perfect, but his attempt. The word camp comes from a French term meaning to pose in an exaggerated fashion. So naturally, it's a style defined primarily by exaggeration. It's not a style that necessarily relishes bad over good, but rather artificiality over naturalism, and extravagance and theatricality over subtlety. Camp can be intentional, as is the case with drag or pop music, but it can also be unintentional like an inadvertently hilarious movie that was meant to be dramatic. Camp is very much associated with the LGBT community and especially gay men. In the UK, for instance, the word camp is more often used as an adjective that describes gay men with effeminate, over-the-top mannerisms. If you want to check out more of Needs More Gay, feel free to check out his YouTube page. I'll put the link in the description so that you can go check it out later. And finally, I know that you are all trembling with anticipation to hear our take on Rocky Horror Picture Show. But before we do, I want to tell you a few things that are coming up soon. Uh, so this Saturday, October 22nd, there are going to be auditions for a new show, one that is written by me called Falsehoods, Fallacies, and Fairy Tales, or How We'll Convince You These Plays Are About Christmas. Uh, and that is being done through Step One Theater Project. If you would like to audition, the auditions are not open. You have to email them first. I realize that this is a little short notice, but email them step one, and that's the number one, not O-N-E, step one, theater with an R-E, project at gmail.com with headshots, resume, anything relevant. Uh, we will see all types. We are especially looking for men and male-identified individuals. So please send us out your stuff. Also, 
in November, and this is a little far away, but November 22nd, from 7 to 9, Housing Works Troop, working with Theater of the Oppressed NYC and Judson Memorial Church, are presenting a new show called Some Things Money Can't Buy, which is a forum play addressing the hurdles in accessing health care for trans women. This is created by and performed by Housing Works Theater Troop and based on real-life experiences of the actors. Uh, now that's going down at Housing Works Bookstore at 126 Crosby Street in New York, New York. I will go ahead and put that link in the description as well. And if you want to check out Theater of the Oppressed NYC for any of their other shows, because they work with a lot of other organizations, uh, then check out tonyc.nyc. All of Theater of the Oppressed NYC's shows are free. So any show that you see on tonyc.nyc, you can go to completely for free. Now, without further ado, here's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It may be a jump to the left and a step to the right, but today we're asking, is the Rocky Horror Picture Show transphobic? My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a stand-up comic uh, as well as a playwright, and I'm being joined today by... My name is Vivian Aladrin. I am a musician, actor, playwright, composer, uh, comedian, and YouTube person. My name is Phoenix Sweeney, they, them, and I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I say that because I don't want to list things for a, a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Who likes lists, right? You did a great list, though. You did yeah. a very nice list. <laughs> I, mean, I got I got used to listing things. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. So we had a little list envy going on here. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. So, <laughs> so if we are releasing this on the date that I think that we are, today, tonight on Fox, they're going to be showing the Laverne Cox, Adam Levine remake of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I want to know, have you seen it in the past or is this your first time watching Rocky? I have seen it many times in the past. My sister has performed it several times. I didn't ever see her perform because I am much younger than her, and she was like, "That I no, no, you're not welcome here." Um, but I have seen it so many times. Uh, the last night uh, when I watched it for the show was the first time I've ever seen Rocky Horror Picture Show uh-huh. ever in my life. <laughs> ah, so no Fascinating. longer Rocky Virgin. <laughs> oh God. So. Speaking well, of, at least that's one thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my. So, uh, speaking of Rocky Virgins, and speaking of seeing it, have either of you seen this live? I have seen it live. I have not. I've seen it a number of times live. I've seen a number of shadow casts. Um, I've actually been a part of a couple of shadow casts. At one point, I got pulled up to be the uh, husband at the beginning, the bride and groom. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, so what are your immediate thoughts? Like now that we're looking at it from a trans lens, like what do you think about it? I I will say that seeing it live was so much worse like I was so excited for it to be like this really great thing but the people that are there in my experience really like enjoy it as a night to kind of like be like as problematic as they want like they kind of like they will make like holocaust jokes and like just say really 
horrible things and I'll be like this is not all right this is not all right and they'll be like well you shouldn't have come to Rocky then and I'm like Rocky is for is for like it was originally for a marginalized group and you just wanted to take it over and use it as a place to be problematic um but like watching it there's definitely some things that are like I I see why they would be hurtful but I don't know I think to me it was just a really good thing for my queerness like it was just this really nice thing like I was like this is this is something that's like mine you know in a way like it's for my my queer community which I really appreciated and I don't know like a lot of the things that were problematic I thought were a little bit less bad because it was like well you know queer folks back then didn't have the language that we have now and that sort of thing but you know, it it can be it can be a little prob- problematic, and the only thing that I really think is that the only people that should be discussing whether or not is transphobic are trans folks. So, take that, cis people. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> so, um, on that note, I'm curious. Well, V specifically, what were your takeaways? What did you get by watching it for a first time? Uh, so I was about, like, 40 years late to the party, um, (laughs) and, uh, there were elements of it that I found very, uh, liberating and fun and free, and, uh, I kind of get that vibe that everybody, uh, is laying out, but it feels very much like an effort to make fun of trans people and also be like not horrible about it. it i don't know it it feels like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too mm-hmm. like you have uh i mean a boatload of problematic language and terms and i get that it was the 70s and people didn't really have that knowledge but you know it's kind of a similar argument to a bunch of old shakespeare plays where you look at the Merchant of Venice, or you look at the Taming of the Shrew, and, you know, you can contextualize it. You can go, hey, well, you know, back in that day, you know, people didn't talk about that stuff, and actually what they were doing was pretty progressive. And that's fine, but I find that that argument is often used to quiet further progressive intentions, because um, you shouldn't rest on historical pieces being quote-unquote progressive for its time uh, because as we grow we need to be more progressive and while Rocky Horror did a lot for the community in the 70s and to a lesser extent you know as it went on in the future uh, I feel like it's fair to uh, honestly address the problems that it has Mm. so I I actually that's I normally when people like I normally am so anti hold on I normally am so anti that argument of like progressive for its time and so it is weird that I actually like I've never noticed that like how weird it is that I do still say that for Rocky Horror like I've never called myself out on that that's that's a really good point thank you no and I think I because I I absolutely love this like, I really do love this movie. <laughs> and it's horrible and problematic, but at the same time, I just can't stop loving it. <laughs> so, there's an elephant in the room on this, because recently, I think about a year ago, uh, Richard O'Brien, the person who wrote as well as acted as Riff Raff in the movie, 
uh, came out as I believe they self-describe themselves as third third sex or third gender. That they are uh, agreeing with a lot of this anti-trans rhetoric. The idea that trans women aren't actually women, that they're mutilated men, and uh, and I can see both of my panelists' eyes kind of widening as I'm talking about this, because... <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this has Freezing been a thing. is so violent. <laughs> wait, uh, so and... he agrees with that? Yeah. Or, wait, huh. what? Oh, no. uh, he still uses he, he has said. The, the stuff that I've found, the interviews that he's had, has said that he actually identifies if he had to put a percentage 70% male 30% female um, and I'm not necessarily going to question how or why or if he does feel like he is within a third sex or gender but at the exact same time growing up assigned male at birth and still feeling predominantly male especially as a white male I feel like it's very easy to ignore people that are outside of your own experience. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. Especially, he is of an older generation at this point. He's in his 70s. And I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that more as a... He could surprise us, but I don't think he's going to change his views anytime soon. One thing that I always thought was really, um, like, I, I don't, I, someone once gave me the argument of, about, like, how we always are like, well, they're old, so it's okay that they're terrible. And so, and someone went, they're old, so they have lived through so many different movements for this. Like, for basically, like, all of these different things that are going on right now, like, they have lived through movements for it. So, like, no, maybe they don't get a pass because they're old. So, Fuck you, Richard O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to ask, having this new information, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the movie now. Have they changed at all? Are you still, like, is it a thing that you want to take in a little bit? If anything, I feel like it clarifies uh, a lot of suspicions that I had. I admittedly didn't go into a lot of de- uh, depth and research of the creator of Rocky Horror. I knew vaguely that there was some element of, like, non-cisgender identity to the person, and I didn't really pay attention to it. All I knew it about it was insofar as hearing people most of the time on the internet say, you know, how dare you say that Rocky Horror is transphobic because the writer is a trans person. And hearing this now, I'm like... So there's some points to that. Uh, One, the beautiful, wonderful miracle of life is that people, both cis people and trans people, are able to be wonderful people and also shitty people. It happens. People are people in that everybody is different. So his identity doesn't give him a free pass on his negative views and I feel that his negative views make a lot of elements of the show uh, very specific and explains a lot about Tim Curry's character which I'm sure we are going to be addressing momentarily I yeah it's kind of like um, 
when um, It's Always Sunny was happening, I heard some people talking about how, like, they were kind of upset that the trans woman didn't get the chance to be, like, she wasn't allowed to be a shitty person. Like, she had to be this perfect person. Um, and it's kind of like, yes, I understand why they did do that sort of representation, but at the same time, like, she should be allowed to be a person that isn't just, like, a single thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely... To stand in for a community. Yeah. And it's like, you know, trans people, you know, we can, we can have, we can have our issues. And, like, there's also, like, internalized transphobia and all of this shit. So, like, and also, yeah, he's still predominantly, like, he's still gets the privilege of being a, like, socialized male. Like, that hasn't gone away. Like, even if he does identify as a trans person and isn't fully a male, like, he still gets that sort of privilege, and so he doesn't know what it's like. He only knows about what it's like probably when it comes up as a good thing for him, like, having, like, created this thing. And so, yeah, I don't know. To me, it definitely changes a lot of how I feel about it. I always thought of him as kind of like like I always really looked up to Richard O'Brien um and yeah I'm just I'm just really disappointed yeah sorry to crush everybody (laughs) it needed Uh, to happen (laughs) and I mean like I say there's a chance that maybe he can learn maybe uh he'll understand a little bit later after actually talking to trans people I mean Laverne Cox is going to be portraying Frankenfurter tonight so uh unfortunately he has also spoken out to the extent that he can that he was unhappy with the casting (sighs) We don't know why. Maybe he just doesn't like Adam Lambert. Like, that could be it. I mean, Uh. fine, but anybody... (laughs) I might be biased, but I can't have a solid argument against Laverne Cox playing anything that she wants to play, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, I absolutely adore her. um, And I'm sure that she has her reasons for playing this uh, character that's rife with issues. Uh, and I'm also sure, sure that she's going to have a whole bunch of fun with it. Um, and, yeah. And when people talk about the Rocky Horror casting, like the casting for this new film, um, it's kind of like, it's very blatant that the most visible casting choice is Laverne Cox. And so if someone just leaves it with that vague statement of like, I don't like the casting, then I'm going to pretty solidly be like oh you have an issue with Laverne Cox being cast as Frankfurter um I don't like a lot of the rest of the cast but I will say that I love the fact that Laverne Cox is playing Frankfurter because she's fucking awesome and I just want her to do all the things that she want to do yeah I don't even know who the rest of the cast is (laughs) is Laverne Cox and Victoria Justice playing Janet I think so, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't have anything against Victoria Justice. I used to really love her, but something about that makes me weary, and I don't know why. Just because, like, Susan, Susan Sarandon, I really love Susan Sarandon. I really love her. I don't know if, like, you guys are probably making faces like she's probably terrible. No, I'm no, about her I just, in real life. Um, I've heard some things of yeah. her doing good things in real life. Yeah. She's always been the one weak link amongst people in the Rocky community in the movie because yeah. her singing is 
Oh, subpar. Yeah, it's not good. It's not the best. Look, look if we're gonna if we're gonna get into that conversation, Please. whoever was playing Brad was no like ring like knockout singer himself. Oh yes. Oh, okay. So he's not a good singer, but I love that man. And the actor sure. escapes me, but he was great as the mayor on Sin City Spin, <laughs> or Spin seen. City, not Sin City. Very different show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like. Yeah, he has no range. I mean, none of them are really super skilled, but for some reason, Susan Sarandon just really sticks out in the community as someone who just... So, I'm sorry, I I don't mean to interject or anything, but it's a phenomenon that I noticed uh, in particular, actually, when the Sweeney Todd movie, uh, a few years back, many years back... uh, uh, and came out where singing, especially singing in movies, it's like half your singing voice and half uh, the character's personality. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are some people that I know, especially people who are like super hardcore into the musical theater scene, who had a big beef with like Johnny Depp because he can't sing like Sweeney Todd. But the personality of the character and the quality of his acting kind of made it better and i feel like a lot of the issues uh between the hate that susan sarandon's uh faced in the rocky horror community beyond the fact that my default answer whenever anybody on the planet starts like harshing on a woman is like oh that's probably just sexism because 98 percent of the time it is um is that in their defense her character is portrayed to be particularly just kind of the amalgamation of all of the most depressing like 70s era women stereotypes mm. like shallow and timid and needs a man to protect her and devious and you know it's like just kind of went down the list of like awful stereotypes that people attribute to women um and her singing also wasn't that great so probably yeah. <laughs> you know well, and particularly with Janet, uh, there was something that uh, my wife was talking about while we were watching it, just seeing it again, seeing it from another pair of eyes. There's more... I wouldn't say that there's more of a sexual awakening in the, in the Janet character than, say, the Brad character, but there's definitely something there that you can see from the start that Susan Sarandon is kind of starting to do with like very subtle things that she's... Uh, doing. I'm trying to think of specific examples, but for the most part, she's definitely a lot more open and interested, and it's almost like Brad, for the most part, as much as she's scared, as much as she's portrayed as the one that's like, oh, no, Brad, we need to leave. It's like, no, 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 we're just going to get a phone. Don't worry about it. Once we have a phone, we can leave. <laughs> and even though she's very scared of it, there are a lot of like subtle little things in her eyes and in the, the little things that she does and the way that she interacts with other people that definitely show there's something more to what she's bringing to the table than just someone who showed up and just started acting, I guess. <laughs> and this was another thing that my wife brought up initially, was that the reason that we sympathize so much with Frankenfurter 
is because of Tim Curry's acting. And because even though Frankenfurter is the antagonist, even though Frankenfurter is a murderer, someone who comes in and pretends to be another person to try and get sex from someone, even though Tim Curry essentially has a house filled with indentured workers, we sympathize with him, with Frankenfurter, because... Tim Curry just does such a good job of being charismatic and because of the events that unfold at the end that when we see him die, we we love him. And I don't think another actor would have been able to portray that. I have always really loved Tim Curry. Um, because because I love Tim Curry, I actually like super loved the movie Clue. Um, because I had watched Rocky Horror, and then I was like, oh, Clue, and, uh, like, I think that that definitely is really true, because, like, I, I think, you know, from how all the times when I had watched it, I hadn't necessarily, like, I knew that he was, like, not a super good person, but I didn't really think of him as, like, bad or, like, that bad, and, like, also now, like, hearing you phrase that thing with, the sex scene with Brad and Janet and like fuck I had never considered and that's problematic as fuck I had not damn that is damn that you is, childhood that is a that is a that is a hot and spicy uh, level of non-consensual interaction there yeah huh and admittedly they both pull off the wig and they still it's assumed that Janet also has sex with Frankenfurter mm-hmm. um but it's definitely clear that Brad does. And at a certain point, their interaction becomes consensual, but there's definitely that non-consent in the beginning. That phrase when... becomes consensual makes me so uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying friends. to figure out how to... I apologize. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's true out. as to, like, what... Like, how it is portrayed. Like, that is how they portray it, and it's yeah. not... Like, that's not all right. And also, like, the no, fact that it is this, like trans person this person that is kind of supposed to read as maybe like trans feminine is the person doing this and is the person like tricking them into sex like that is fucked up like that's really fucking not okay like that's not an okay thing to portray in media like that's not all right especially by fucking some like person who mainly lives as a man yeah um yeah i noticed that uh because I got to I got um, the joy and the opportunity to see this film uh, with my 2016 vision, um, mm. and the first time those scenes came up, I was like, "Huh, well, that's fun." Except that it's not because it's <laughs> awful. And part of me was immediately like, "Oh yeah," and of course, of course, like targeting Janet. The poor, sensitive, delicate, oh, no, no, no. And then it happened again with Brad, and there was a little tiny you know, part of me that was like, oh, okay, I mean, you know, at least they're being egalitarian about it. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, eh, that's not, that's not okay. And it makes it kind of even more baffling that, like, the end, the exunt of the character is portrayed so tenderly. Like, especially because I think the, the the character who was, like, the most attached to him during that scene was, um, was Rocky, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. 
And Rocky spent, like, most of the movie kind of not really wanting to be around him that much. Like, he was created, had this very, like, song that I vaguely took away as, like, I'm really scared, and I don't know what happened, and I was dead, and, uh... Um... I, I don't know, it was just... It was kind of a bizarre... turn, mm. you know? Well, and, um... The other, the other thing that we're talking about when we talk about Rocky, specifically the character of Rocky, that person was created as a person who is definitely over 18. But... Frankenfurter is definitely banging someone who is less than 24 hours old. He's also, like, he also doesn't really, like, he he does kind of act like he is a parental figure to Rocky in the same way that he's like, I am a parental figure to you, but you also exist to fuck me. And, like, that is so not alright! Like, holy fucking hell, no! The no. laundry list of this character is so long. <laughs> shrieks he i mean he also murders somebody like he just straight up murders somebody after and i'm trying to piece this together again i've only seen it once um but after he took him apparently used part of his brain to create rocky then put him in deep storage and he came out anyway sang a song then he killed him and then it was weirdly implied that they that he might have cooked the person and, and fed them it. to yeah. people <laughs> like yeah and also like the fact that he like columbia who had had feelings for frankenfurter that were probably like maybe stockholm syndrome um and then we also have the fact that columbia did still also love this person like did love meatloaf's character um like it's kind of really not all right that like I, like there definitely was a lot of like this jealous type of killing like no Columbia you don't get to be happy I am the source of all of your emotions yeah. and like that's really fucked up like that's he's terrible Frankenfurter is terrible and my childhood is different <laughs> <laughs> is it transphobic ruining childhoods. <laughs> Since at least about a month ago. <laughs> oh, that's a good tagline. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's either that or we just rename the show, like, Ashley Ruins Everything. I'm in. <laughs> Ashley Ruins Your Childhood. Oh. <laughs> so, speaking of speaking of Eddie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Eddie, yeah, I love Meatloaf in this. He just shows up for one song and gets brutally murdered. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> um... That's why I don't sing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with, with him, there's this whole element that the second he pops out, he says something, like, I don't know if he says something to Rocky, or he just makes, like, a motion, like, I'm trying to remember what it was, it definitely wasn't, like, a thumbs up or a finger gun, but it was, like, just some affirmative motion towards Rocky, goes, continues into his song, but that moment that he interacts with Rocky at all, Frankenfurter gets this look on their face. And at first, I thought it was jealousy, but uh, thinking about the fact that it's that Rocky has half of Eddie's brain, maybe that's part of it. But there's definitely some sort of aggressively jealous aspect to Frank, because immediately... 
he starts grabbing at Rocky, throwing him into the elevator so that he doesn't, so that he's not around for when Frank kills Eddie. I don't know. I, I again, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what this relationship uh, between Eddie and Frank might have been. Well, not to continue on the train of horrible uh, things, but here we go. Um, So, one uh, kind of female-coded stereotype that I have, like, a particular beef with is the, like, quote-unquote, like, uh, crazy jealousy Mm. stereotype. And it is disgusting and i hate it and it keeps on showing up all over the place even in places that like i feel like it shouldn't um and uh i kind of want to say that frankenfurter was portraying that sense of irrational like he's mine and i will kill anybody who like gets close to him sort of deal because it's the same sort of behavior that he portrayed when he found out that janet slept with rocky and it's that whole, like, aggressive, like, territorial, I don't know if it's, like, a an aggressive, like, territorialism or, like, or what, but it's this, it's not okay, especially considering, like, their relationship to each other is already incredibly fucked up, because Rocky is kind of 100% Frankenfurter's, like, child slash sexual servant yeah i'd say also one thing that's really uncomfortable about it is that so much of frankenfurter's character is just really it's just really terrible as far as like what it says trans people are because we do only see things as being masculine and feminine and so frankenfurter is treated as though they have like this like mentality or whatever of how like the mentality that like a promiscuous woman would have but then at the same time they have this like power that like is supposed to be very masculine and it's just really gross um and yeah it's just very much like uh this is what it would be like if if women had the power of men and i feel like that's so much of what it is and it's really fucking gross like it's it's transphobic it's transmisogynistic specifically it's misogynistic it's just really fucking terrible and yeah yeah and i i think part of the reason that all of these elements kind of converge in this is because when they initially developed it as a stage show the idea of it was sort of going along the lines of that 70s uh, combination of camp uh, mixed with just all the horrifying things that they could think about mm-hmm. and putting music to it so that it's this fun romp through a horrifying something. And while that can be enjoyable, I mean, we've had, we have enjoyed this for a very long time. That's not to say it's not without its issues. Mm-hmm. And particularly, if we had better trans representation back then, we could probably look at it and say, wow, I don't know what they're doing with this, but okay. Uh, But the fact that we didn't have any, it does make a very different image when we're actually thinking about Frank. Like, this is what people saw, like, this is the me- This is the media on trans folks, like, that at the time, like, this is what trans people were. And yeah, that's horrible. 
But I also want to talk to the fact that there are a lot of trans folks, and I'll admit, this was the first time I've ever been able to... Because uh, I don't want to say it's the first time I've questioned gender, but it was definitely the first time that I've kind of said to myself, people can do this. Like, people can go out. People can fuck with gender. So there is an extent that this definitely has a place in my heart as, like, one of the first things that told me, like, yeah, go out and do it. Or as they say in uh, Rose Colored World, don't see it, be it. Yeah. At its point of origin, it became... It's kind of like what happened with Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman now is something of a feminist icon. Like, there's a lot of, you know, positivity in a lot of her comics right now. She's very, uh, you know, strong and independent and somebody that a lot of uh, women that I know look up to. But her origins were being created by a cis man who had a thing for bondage and her character was basically just bondage girl but you know you couldn't call it that um because she had the golden lasso and like her only weakness was being tied up and you know it's all this like very sexualized obviously look at her classic outfit it's all you know the kind of like spine breaking metal I don't know what those are, like, corset, corset thing. Yeah. But it kind of became greater than the sum of its parts. And I feel like in a lot of, especially uh, older trans communities, Rocky Horror Picture Show also kind of became greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, because uh, kind of the big common argument for it that I see is that at the time, trans people had nothing. Had literally nothing. So the fact that, like a movie came out that was like, hey, gender's not what you think it is. <laughs> they were like, whoa, yes! And, you know, that doesn't absolve it from the criticism that we've given it. I'm, don't, I'm not going to apologize for any of the critiques that we've had here, but I can see where the conflict is. Because it did help people, even though it in itself wasn't great if that makes sense yeah yeah i'd say a lot of it has like a lot of it is about like the the community for me like as far as like what it did for me like it was definitely a very good like oh hey queerness sort of thing like it was definitely good for me as far as that and like it definitely was really good back like when it came out because it was like you said the only like trans thing that existed but it's it's almost as though it's something that if it would only exist for queer folks. It would be much less bad. Yeah. But the fact that it does that, like, cis people can watch this or, like, straight people can watch this and be, like, kind of, like, be, like, okay, queerness is kind of like this. And, like, that's not, that's not, that's yeah. not all right. And, like, there's also, you know, the fact that there's, like, uh, a rape scene that isn't portrayed as rape. So, you know, that's also something. Well, um, I mean, to be fair to the to be fair to the movie, I, I think that's two rape scenes that aren't portrayed to be rape. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very true. Very fair. Um, 
Look, if I've said it before, I've said it a million times. Uh, cis people ruin everything. Can I say that on this? Yes. <laughs> yes. You have my permission. I will just throw up the hashtag not all cis people. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, but in a way, in this context, I think it, you've kind of hit to a bigger problem that these kinds of movies uh, are addressing. And it's kind of the problem... Um, you know, to a lesser extent, like what the Danish girl did, and I'm can I'm dreading what uh whatever Mark Ruffalo's new Ugh. uh disaster is going to be that <laughs> I can't remember because I stopped caring. Um, the, you know, it's called it's called something like every time I see the name of the movie after they talk about the description, it sounds like that's not the name of the movie. It's something like yeah. associated or like yeah, I'm trying to think something... like like another. Or like it's Something, a weird yeah, word. Yeah, it's like a, like, it's like an adjective. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, but it's this whole kind of sensationalizing of minority figures for the benefit of a cis audience, so that way mm-hmm. cis people can uh, take a break from their like humdrum lives and go, oh wow, look at this minority thing. Oh wow, that's what they're going through. How sad. Okay, bye. Like. You know, so everything kind of gets neatly packaged and, like, yeah, delivered it's, it's for like the benefit you, of cis people. It's like when you watch something, like, when you watch, like, uh, Selma or something, and be like, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a good white person. I've seen Selma. And it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I know people like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those people exist. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely a whole big niche of media that's just like, look, uh, like, and it's most of how various marginalized communities are representative, and it's kind of like, look, we're marginalized, that's what that's like, um, and it's written by people who don't have those identities, and it's made for people who don't have those identities, and it's meant to be like, oh, we're, it's kind of like how, how like, living with the apes kind of style filmmaking. Yeah. Can you give a description of, like, a, a plot synopsis of this movie? Because I can't, for the life of me. <laughs> I think I can hack it. I, it can be done, but it's just one of those, like, I was thinking about it, like, how do I describe the movie? And it's just like, I just don't. <laughs> like, what actually happens in this movie? It, I had a lot of ideas about what this could be going into it, and uh, my expectations were not met pretty much in any field whatsoever. Um, I mean that in as many different good and bad ways as possible. <laughs> um, it was a truly unexpected thing to watch, and the only thing that I can attribute it to is kind of the sense of um, the humor of it and kind of the tone and the feel and the movement of it is kind of framed to be purposefully bizarre and ev- evocative and... Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, controversial. Just sort of like it was like it was designed to make the surrogate, the surrogate audience members, Brad and Janet, you know, the poster children of white heteronormativity in the seventies, um, <laughs> thrust into this world that was hell bent on disrupting their way of life and the way they understood life. Uh, the trans agenda. 
can tell it. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway through this movie, I actually wrote down, could this movie be literally what they thought the gay agenda was? Aliens come down from space. Oh, yeah. Also, the trans people. The trans trans people aliens. aliens, Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Did you know that uh, we were aliens? I didn't know we were aliens. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. That's something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically. I feel like my parents probably should have told me about that. But, you know, okay, fine. My plot summary of the film is... Uh, your good cishet white folks, Brad and Janet, were living were living their good life and just minding their own business when they suddenly ended up in a house of queer debauchery and <laughs> <laughs> madness ensues. Also queer people are aliens. <laughs> queer debauchery. It sounded like one of the, like those old timey like Brad and Janet were your regular, good, old-fashioned American couple, and they were disrupted by this unruly, newfangled sexuality movement. <laughs> oh, God. Yay. <laughs> so actually, it's one of the parts of the, of the movie that I really liked. It wasn't Frank, because Frank is covered in issues and problems and not okay but the community like the party community the free like everybody's wearing all sorts of wonderful different things and like that part of it that was an element of it that i genuinely loved i watched it and i for a moment i was like you know what yeah, okay, I can be on board with this. Mm-hmm. People are just having fun. Um, you know, poor cishet normative, normative society is like, what on earth is going on? And they're just having a good time. They're dancing, they're yes. singing, everything is bright and colorful. Like, I try to pay attention to color and composition, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a very specific reason why the church uh, had, um, like, the Norman Rockwell people uh, running it. Because it just really cemented how everything was kind of drained out color-wise. Everybody was in whites and blacks, and everything about their outfits were very dark and muted. And, you know, even their shirts had, like, very faded, very kind of, like, samey color Mm -hmm. palettes. And they come into this world, and there's, like, reds and blues, and, like, all of this stuff is flying around. And it's wonderful and, like, amazing. And then Frank shows up, and I'm like, okay, I get... Okay, Tim Curry, okay, that's not what you're supposed to... That's not what you're supposed to call... Okay, and then he starts murdering people, and they're like, okay, I don't. And this gets worse, and then he dies because he's too weird. It was perhaps the most baffling part. They never explained why he was. Why he couldn't go back to planet transsexual. Uh, in Galaxy of Transylvania. From transsexual Transylvania. Because <laughs> that was the other thing. He's like, I'm from transsexual Transylvania. And then at the end, they throw in planet transsexual galaxy Transylvania. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Is that what this is? I thought the planet was transsexual Transylvania. Yeah. But either way, they never go into why he could not go back or why he had fled specifically. It, maybe not why he fled specifically, but wasn't there like one line in like the song where like Riva was like, we have to kill you because you're too, your lifestyle is too weird. Yeah. Like it's too upsetting. Yeah. And I'm like, and that's what you're 
doing yeah, it and for? It's like the reason that his lifestyle is too, or their lifestyle is too upsetting, isn't because he is a rapist murderer uh, that com- like constantly undermines the autonomy of everyone around him. The issue is that he is gender nonconforming. Mm. So... See, I would love, because especially where the outfits that the two of them wear at the end, I would love to know, and I guarantee you this is not true, but I would love to hear that the reason Frank was kicked off of a planet named Transsexual was because he keeps murdering people and doing <laughs> horrible things. Yeah. And there's this whole planet of Transsexual of people who are trans and non-conforming who are just like, hey, what's up? Let's go play some mini golf. Yeah. And then, oh, there's Frankenfurter just murdering everybody. Like, <laughs> better not talk to him. <laughs> let's murdering people. Just, again. just leave that oh, Frankenfurter alone. Right? Frank let's send. <laughs> <laughs> just put on some pants, Frank, or a skirt. It's fine. Just, it's plain transsexual. Okay. <laughs> But or, I guarantee you that's Or, like, not you don't have to put on anything if you don't want to, you know, it would be comfortable with your body. But if you could stop putting knives in people like that, yeah. that yeah. would be cool. Non-consensual kniving, yeah. <laughs> like, that's really... That's where yeah. we're drawing the line, Frank. Get off our planet. There's a little piece of um, uh, uh, wardrobe that I thought was an interesting choice when Frank first goes up and is has put on the surgeon frock or I'm not sure what it is exactly, but that sort of like medical attire, there is a tiny red triangle sewn into the frock right over where, uh, where Frank's heart essentially would be. And I looked this up because I just wanted to see, I did not find anything specific from the filmmakers or anything like that. Uh, but I know that the practice has been used in uh, during the Holocaust to identify folks who are uh, queer in some way with a pink triangle uh, and other ways. And a red triangle, what I found out was it was for political prisoners, social democrats, socialists, trade unionists, Freemasons. Uh, and specifically, it was made red because of initially it was about communists uh, as well as anarchists when they were put in the concentration camps, were uh, they were forced to wear those as well. And I feel like nothing in this movie was done without some deliberate choice. And I almost feel like what they were trying to say was Frank was a some sort of political prisoner or some sort of anarchist on planet Transylvania. Uh, but I don't know. It just... It also... And I realize I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, I also want to bring up there was this whole culture in the late 60s, early 70s during the punk movement where a lot of punks would just find Nazi crap and uh, either like put it up because they wanted to shock people or uh, just walk around with it because they didn't really fully understand the ramifications of what the Nazis were actually about. Yeah. Uh, and I just... I. I don't know. I feel like this is very much hearkening to both that misguided punk as well as having some sort of idea of like, yeah, we're going to put this in because we want to show that Frank is a political prisoner. Uh, And I don't necessarily have a question on that, 
but it's a thing I wanted to bring up, and it's something that I think also made it a little bit not harder to watch, but definitely more. It brought up a lot more questions in me than it did prior to really analyzing it. Um, I would say uh, so. I spent a lot of time. Uh, I spent a lot of time like looking into like really learning a lot about the history of the Soviet Union and uh, about the Nazis. And I feel like I've kind of come to this pretty solid conclusion. And actually recently a friend kind of asked me my opinion on something kind of similar to this. And if you're going to reference those times, you have to be doing it in a very intentional, very like this is not all right kind of way. Um, my friend actually was asking because uh, she wanted to identify her own uh, like socialist beliefs um, and she happened to have something that was from the Soviet Union and I was like that doesn't identify your socialist beliefs that is referencing a time that was really not all right and um, I think that this is kind of a similar sort of thing where it's like you know yes it does kind of label him as this whatever like maybe it is labeling him as a political prisoner and maybe it is um likening this place and this person to uh to socialism or communism uh it's kind of really interesting how similar frankenfurter is to a totalitarian leader um but like it's very much not doing it in a way like it's referencing the holocaust in a way that isn't like like it's like you know you can't you can't just like casually bring up the fucking holocaust and that's what it does and that's not all right my takeaway of it is you said that there was like um like a a shock punk kind of thing going around, going along at that time right where people mm-hmm. would procure a whole bunch of like uh, Holocaust uh, material in order to be controversial and shocking and blah 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 blah. So if we want to take it on the merit that this film does nothing uh, casually, if anything, my takeaway on that is that Frankenfurter was um, hearkening to that community. That because so much of the character already is a about it's weird to say but it's about emotional manipulation of people you know he does things to control how people respond in his house uh in whatever way if he wants to shock people he'll shock people if he wants you know them to feel happy like uh it's sort of a mastermind mentality so it could just be another uh, accessory to, in in one way or another, you know, upset these two already obviously freaked out people. Um, further, that's my takeaway, mm. and I also agree with uh, your point, Phoenix, a lot in that you know you shouldn't bring up the Holocaust unless we're having a serious conversation about how awful it was. Because as much as there's this weird push to try to, like, trivialize horrible things that happened in the past, it really doesn't shake the fact that millions and millions of people died. And that's not good under any circumstances. So, Mm. yeah. If we 
had to put it on a scale of one to ten oh or yes or no. <laughs> oh yeah. God! Yeah. The, the abstains. Yeah. The things I ask at every episode. I know. <laughs> no. We're gonna start with. Did you enjoy it? Well, that's not a number question. That's a yes or no question. Based on a one to ten, <laughs> or a yes or no. Okay, fine. As I stated. Or reference it, or like answer that in a series of sounds. I would give it. Honestly. I would give it about uh, a seven out of ten. I ooh, I I'm did shocked. enjoy it. I mean, not all of it, but I'm also kind of a pro at engaging with things that are shitty to trans people and figuring out how to enjoy them anyway, because wow. that's how I grew up. <laughs> um, yeah, like <laughs> same. If I got everything out of my life that was transphobic in some degree or capacity, I wouldn't be doing anything. And that's not me being generalized or weird or whatever. Like, even even really great shows have done kind of shitty things. Like, it happens. This show in particular has a lot of shitty things. <laughs> but there are parts of it that were genuinely fun. The music is very uh, memorable and fun and exciting. I love the other characters that aren't Frank. Um... <laughs> You know, I could kind of rationalize, like, the whole gender non-conforming things in a positive framework, although with the new knowledge of Richard O'Brien and the laundry list that we have on, on Frank is making it really difficult, but sure, I enjoyed it, fine, there we go. I I would say, yeah, like, one thing um, about how you said that, like, every show is problematic. Like, every single show has done, basically every single show that I can think of that does any sort of comedy will at some point do the, it's funny, there's a man in a dress. So, like, I was shrugging into infinity in case yeah. you couldn't see through the audio. Um, I <laughs> no one saw that through audio, but they, yeah, they really did. felt it. They yeah. did it. They did. <laughs> I tweaked my shoulder for that, so you're welcome, yeah. audience. Um, <laughs> uh, but I would say that for me, I would have, before I came in here, I would have given it a very high number. Um, I really, like, Rocky holds such a special place in my heart, and like I said, other than the times that I saw it at, like, showings of it in which the call-out things were, like, really awful, um, I, I, like, it's always been just, like, a really good thing for me and for my queerness, so I'd say that it went from being, like, a 9 or a 10 to realizing how horrible it was and how I will probably enjoy it after today is probably more, like, uh, five or six, just because like disillusionment, but like nostalgia and like so it's like I don't even know. Feelings are weird. Um, <laughs> and, feeling, feelings are weird. Nostalgia goggles are very powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rose tints my world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I I say words. <laughs> I I give it an eight. I give it a solid eight. Because I still love it. I'm still going to watch it every Halloween. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still going to enjoy it. I'm super excited for the Fox version. I'm really excited to see how they do it. Especially because Richard O'Brien hates it, apparently. I'm bored with that. I'm nervous about it because Fox. Yeah. And because anyone that isn't Laverne Cox is on it. Because, um, like, Laverne Cox is the only gender, like, is the only trans person, right? I believe so. I haven't done enough research to be able to answer that. But, yeah, like, I believe she's the only 
Uh, she's the only big name uh, out trans individual that is definitely mm-hmm. on there. Uh, everyone else I'd have to quadruple check, but the only people I know are... Uh, oh, no, I can't even think of his name. Adam... Adam Lambert. Lambert. Yes. yes. He was on American Idol. Yes. That's why he's famous. Yep. Okay. Don't watch and American then, Idol. I just... I've, I heard about it. I was still in, like, living with my family at the time, and they didn't watch it, but, like, I feel like you're more aware of what goes on on the television when you're living with your parents. I don't know why. I think it's because you're around other people that, like, watch television and watch, like, have, like, have cable and such, all that yeah. jazz. Um, but, yeah, I, I believe that is, he is an American Idol person. Yep, he's an American Idol person, and he got really big because uh, he came out, and he was, like, I think he was one of the only, uh, he was one of the first American Idols to officially come out before Clay Aiken did. Uh, and he's just, like, his homosexuality is a big part of his identity uh, i believe he actually sang for queen for a little while so he's got some chops i just don't care about him yeah i'm decidedly <laughs> like, mad you know, it's just like yeah cool I'm, I'm excited to see what he does but i don't know <laughs> he kind of reminds me aesthetically of my scene phase but doesn't <laughs> sing anything that appeals to my scene phase so no, i don't no. care um <laughs> Oh god! I'm probably not gonna watch the uh, Fox version mostly because it's very hard for me to get people to like. It's very hard to get me to watch anything. One, <laughs> um, and two, if something in particularly interesting happens, I'm sure I'll find clips on YouTube or something. But yeah. beyond that, I enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> I'm don't think I'm really gonna engage with it pretty much after yeah. this but I, I, fun fox experience. is terrible fox is absolutely terrible which makes me nervous the only reason i'm not as nervous is because when it comes to making money as long as it makes money fox doesn't care <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i mean look at uh as Capitalism. much as i don't like family guy look uh. at family guy they take shots at fox they take shots at uh you could have just said the simpsons stuff. the simpsons are simpsons too comparatively less shitty than Family Guy. Absolutely, yeah. but I just, I remember Family Guy getting cancelled, and then because it made money, Fox was like, uh, let's bring it back, which is almost unheard of, even on Fox. Yeah. So they're very much the the capitalist ideal in that yeah. if it makes money, they don't care. And Say whatever you want. It's but... kind of like, also, that sort of thing where it's like uh, becoming more palatable and marketable in a system that is inherently not for you isn't necessarily going to make you less impressed. True. Um, so that's a thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, maybe it won't be completely terrible. I'm going to watch it. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I fuck Fox, fuck uh, turning queerness and marginalized identities into a profit margin because we should just dismantle capitalism because it's not for us. And also, fuck Family Guy. Not for any reason in particular, it's just horrible. All of Let's it. Just, just for the whole guy. damn thing. <laughs> yeah, for the for whole damn it. thing. It just felt like it was worth <laughs> saying. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Scale of 1 to 10, yes or no, however you want to grade it, is it transphobic? V. Given this. <laughs> what was the first one to give my numbers, and then everybody else, like, makes my numbers out to make me feel like a monster? No! <laughs> the agenda no, 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 against no, 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 no. me. That did happen in It's I'm Always Sunny. Sunny. I feel uh, that. Yeah, it definitely happened in Always Sunny. Um, <laughs> hashtag not bitter. Um, I'm giving it. I'm giving it. I'm giving it a nine. Okay? I'm giving it a nine. Okay. Very transphobic. I'm not. I'm not 
given them much. I'm giving them a little tiny bit because of the other people in the house that were not Frank. Okay? Because they were more or less pretty cool about, like, being whatever, gender, freedom, liberation, etc., etc. But Frank did... Frank has pretty much every single negative stereotype that has been attributed to trans people ever. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. all in one spot. So, yeah. I'm giving that fucking a nine. Your turn. Well, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> um, so, like, the community that surrounds it and all of the people that weren't Frank and anything that has the existence of glitter bow ties, all good things. Um, but, yeah, Frank is a rapist murderer that just is like, what is every single transmisogynistic and transphobic trope that we can come up with? What is every, like, what's, what's a thing that a villain would do? Let's put all of those in here. Let's do all of those things. And so, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with, you know, I'll go with the seven. So there's three points for all the things that aren't Frank or the existence of Richard O'Brien. Um, he also body shamed Janet. I just realized that. What's like, that? Sorry, I probably should have put this in earlier, but um, I just realized there was like a tiny moment like after he found out that Janet slept with Rocky. He was like, like commenting on her body. Like yeah. in a really catty kind of way i'm sorry to yeah interrupt. no just, no like... and it's and it was a very much a like it, that was also going back to that sort of thing that that i said earlier where it's like um got the like mentality or whatever of a woman or whatever and the power of a man as far as like you know a misogynist or a transphobic person would think um <laughs> and that like Frank has the kind of power to say these sort of misogynistic things but they're coming from this very like catty feminine uh jealous sort of way um coming from that sort of place um and yeah it's very much like it's so gross and it's so gross and it's just like yeah it's really gross the whole like so much of Frank's character is what if a a woman had the temperament and power that we're supposed to think is only reserved for men and it's just really gross it's really fucking gross so no a t it's a on oh, an 8 give it an 8 i uh, still it up all right yeah still <laughs> two points for the for the community and the other people in the house uh, i tend to agree with you i give it a solid 8 because I feel like it is equally as transphobic as it is enjoyable. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it's, uh, so for me, it's just like, yeah, eight on enjoyment factor, eight on transphobia. This is definitely not good for the community, and I feel like that was the intent of it. So they definitely achieved, but at the same time, ah, come on, guys. Like, come on, Richard O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, and and there is an extent where I guarantee you some people might try and give us flack because you have to remove the writer from the piece. At the Fuck exact... that. Agreed. I hate that. I hate that notion so much. I've always been really angry about it because it's that sort of thing where it's like, yeah, let's just remove any sort of context and just look at this from an artistic point of view. And it's like, that is why Woody Allen still makes movies. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why we don't like... 
if someone is really terrible, I promise you that there is someone that is at least as talented as that person that does not have a shot to do this, that is not a fucking rapist or murderer or is not a shitty fucking human being. Like, there's someone that is as talented as that person. I promise, as talented as that person, who does not have the opportunity to be where that person is, that is also not a terrible person. Like, it's really... Like, we can't stop ignoring the context of things because literally everything that is produced affects how we live. Uh, And so, like, yeah, like, it exists within a context. Richard O'Brien is a person, and what he has done and what he has created, like, he is a part of it. He, who he is, went into that. That sort of lens of his life went into that and degraded what he did. Yep, I emphatically agree with you. Yeah. And I think also in even not just modern day with Twitter, but especially modern day with Twitter, we know what these writers are thinking at all times. Yeah. We can't disconnect them from their work. They are part of their work. And even before then, like, yeah, if we're talking about Shakespeare or Chaucer, okay, maybe we can disconnect a little bit, but not really, not anymore. Not to mention the fact that Richard O'Brien is in the damn movie! Yeah! He he did not disconnect himself from his art, so... And then also there's a thing where, like, even, like, I don't know, so I kind of come come to this with a little bit more of an art history sort of lens, lens, and in art history that's a lot less frowned upon. Like, there is so much of, like, linking people's works to them and linking people's works um, in their life as a timeline. And so, like, a really big part of art history um, is linking the person to the work uh partially just because the art world is to some extent like a circle jerk um but uh like (laughs) uh i'm a working artist please give me money um (laughs) but yeah it's definitely very much like it's in the art world you should talk about the person and i mean like film and literature are just as much art as anything else so um Art historian comes in, destroys your notions of literature, and says that we can look at the person who made it. (laughs) Thank you, art historian. (laughs) So, final question. Do you have a favorite song from the show? Oh. I learned the time warp when I was, like, seven. And so, like, it holds... I really appreciate the time warp, but it's definitely not my favorite song. Um, Probably, probably the opening theme. Uh, partially just because, like, I really loved the aesthetic of, like, the lips, and, like, it was really, it was really well done, and it just kind of, I really like the opening theme. Um, also, there's a light, about right? the opening theme, I, I love it, like, I love watching it, it's, I didn't realize it was actually Magenta's lips and yeah. O'Brien's voice. Yes, that yeah. is a fun fact, my sister told me that, because, you know, Rocky is very important to her. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I would say probably that... I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't really give, like, a solid answer, but probably probably there's a light. Okay. V, you got one? No. No? No. no. I've seen it once. <laughs> yeah. It's hard for me to, like... Again, I'm, I'm very picky about, uh, like, music and musical theater already, so... It was fine. Like, I enjoyed it. I don't think that any of the music is, like, bad or anything. I just... You know, after one viewing and having to deal with the mess of the show, <laughs> it's hard for me to be like, I do love that song, though. Like, I, I do change my answer. Hoppatootie. Yeah. Hoppatootie, bless my soul. 
I feel like Eddie is like one of the only characters that doesn't do anything almost irredeemably yeah. shitty. During his three minutes that he's on screen, he doesn't have enough time to be a terrible person, so that's neat. Also, I mean, he's been lobotomized, so probably maybe they took that part out. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I either go with Hot Patootie or um, Roast in My World. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Cool. God damn you, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fuck Richard O'Brien. I'm done. Hot <laughs> bless my soul. <laughs> Richard O'Brien can eat a bag of crickets. Uh, oh, wow, I forgot that line. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed canon in the movie. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's what he says, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm no, uh, I'm, no, I'm no script reader, but yes. Yeah. So, any last words before we sign out? Oh... That's a good last word. <laughs> Stand by it. Um, cool. All right. In that case, um, so this has been Is It Transphobic? My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. You can find me on Twitter at Lucretia, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A, Dear 4, D-E-A-R, the number 4. Or you can find me at AshleyLaurenRogers.com. And if you want, you can include any of that stuff, or you can just say your name. You don't necessarily have to include where people can find you, but I'm going to say, where can people, like, I'm just going to say, where can people find you? (laughs) And where can people find you? Uh, Okay, again, my name is Vivian Aldrin. Um, You can find me, oh boy. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Valadren, that's V-A-L-A-D-R-E-N. Uh, you can find me <laughs> a lot of places. You can find my Bandcamp, where I keep a lot of uh, my music, at bandcamp.com slash Vivialadren, that's B-I-V-I-A-L-A-D-R-E-N. Um, you can go to YouTube and look up Catcoon Games, that's C-A-T-C-O-O-N Games, uh, that is my Let's Play channel that um, I host and is currently on hiatus, but we're working on it. Um, and you can read the webcomic uh, over on Tapastic, tapastic.com slash series slash life cycle. Um, yeah. Wow, you're doing so many things. You're Very real busy. good. I'm busy. You're good. Um, so, I am Phoenix Sweeney. I um, exist on all the social media as Tiny Lion Roars. That um, includes like Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, but it also includes Vimeo, SoundCloud. Uh, where else do I exist? Basically, if you use any sort of social media or any of the things, just look up Tiny Lion Roars. Roar, not rar, because like I said, my scene phase ended. Um, and you'll you'll find me. Uh, my website is tinylionroars.github.io, and sorry, it's probably still a mess. <laughs> awesome. So your scene phase ended with Adam Lambert. Yeah. No! <laughs> Curse you! <laughs> cool, this has been Is It Transphobic? Yay! Bye! Ooh, yes, it is. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. 
The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.